0: I would be lahim in a shaitan or regime, smell Rahman or Rahim, Alhamdulillah, her Rabbil Alamin, or Sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammad in Wali Tayibina Tahirin, Allahumma Sallallahu ala Muhammad Ali Muhammad. Previously, we examined the miraculous journey of the Prophet Sallallahu alaihi wa'ala called the Isra. Allah Subh'anaHu Wa taala had him travel from Mecca to Jerusalem in one night and then after the Isra' which was the horizontal transportation, we have the vertical one which is even more significant and more profound, we call that the Mi'raj which is the ascension, the ascension of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi to the heavens, so the Isra usually refers to that part of traveling from Mecca to Jer- Jerusalem and the Mi'raj refers to the Prophet sallallahu ascending into the heavens. Now the Ahadith of Bayt peace be upon them, they do indicate that the Mi'raj happened a number of times in the Prophet's life, not only once, it happened actually several times and some of the details of the Mi'raj they may come from those several occasions not from one of those journeys in particular but a number of them. Now how long did this journey take? Some of you were wondering last time, there are some claims that it took a few seconds, all of it, from the time that the Prophet left the house in Mecca until he came back, only seconds passed. You know there are some statements that say his bed was still warm or Uh, that doorknob, not the doorknob, that ring on the door, the knocker, the door knocker, right? It was still moving on the door. Or you know, when the Prophet did wudu, or he washed his face and hands, you could still see some some of the drops of, of that wudu coming. This has no basis in our hadith, or even Sunni hadith. There is no proof, no basis that it took you know that that quick, in fact our hadiths indicate that the Prophet ﷺ started his journey right after asha, so this is about an hour about after sunset and he came back right before Fajr or at Fajr, so we don't exactly know how long that night was, what, what season it was but the night in Mecca varies from maybe 9 to 11 hours so it took maybe between eight and ten hours because he started about an hour after asha so the whole journey of the Isra' to Jerusalem and then that vertical ascension into the heavens and coming back took about eight earthly hours to ten hours. Now the first two-thirds of those eight or ten hours, so we're talking about six hours, that was the time that it took him to go to Jerusalem and remember he'd stop on the way right? he stopped in Yathrib, he stopped on Mount Sinai, he stopped in a number of places, so that took roughly five maybe to six hours, then the Mi'raj, the more profound one, it happened in the last third part of the night, so we're talking about maybe three hours, if you have ten hours, divide them into three parts, you get about three and a half hours, so it took somewhere between three and three and a half hours, so it didn't take that quickly you know as, as some claim and we do hear some people maybe in their speeches and their books referring to that, that the Prophet's bed was still warm it just took a few seconds, that's not accurate. So where did it come from? There is no basis in any hadith, even Sunni hadith I checked there is no basis for that, it's just claims out of nowhere, maybe some people wanted to make it more dramatic because we'll see one big problem that we have with the whole story of the Mi'raj, of the Ascension, is that throughout history fabricators and storytellers have added so much from their own to give it a very very dramatic feeling and you know to draw this very dramatic picture, maybe that's part of it but that's not the case, you know according to our correct sources it it took a few good hours you know somewhere between eight to ten hours for the entire journey, So there are actually, there's no source that confirms it took you know that quick. Now the Prophet sallallahu alaihi when he was ascended into the skies, he was ascended with a speed that was faster than light, because remember the ascension was also physical, it's not that just his soul ascended into the heavens, his physical body also ascended into the heavens, there are some schools of thought who believe it was only spiritual, not physical, but most Muslims, Sunni and Shia agree that it was physical. There is one hadith attributed to Aisha in which she says, I never saw the Prophet missing from his bed at night, even on Laylatul Mi'raj. In other words, this you know hadith claims that the Prophet physically was present here on earth, he was probably sleeping, he may have had a vision or it was a spiritual experience but the problem with this hadith is what? Obviously, what's the problem with this hadith? Exactly because this was in Mecca right? In Mecca Aisha was not even the Prophet's wife so how is she witnessing that I never saw the Prophet in a, yeah, he was always in, in, in his bed, you know, in my bed, except that night, uh, including that night. Well, she was not even his wife back then. So this hadith automatically is disqualified. <laughs> yeah, she just wants to, if she really said it, we don't know if she said that, maybe fabricators attributed that to her. By the way, we have many, many hadiths. I'll say this between two parentheses. We have many hadiths that paint not such a great picture of the Prophet from Aisha, some of our scholars state we don't know if all of them were said by Aisha because remember Muawiyah turned against Aisha, they had a rivalry, so in order to ruin her reputation he would actually pay some people to forge hadiths and attribute them to Aisha, so some exaggerations and unacceptable hadiths yes, she may have said them, but remember, a lot of it could be just fabrications. No, she has ever fabricated anything against her. The retaliation. A p- a pious companion, whom we deem trustworthy, would not do that. No. So a lot of the hadiths you see in Bukhari, in which you know they're very unacceptable, in which Aisha says, you know, I was in my cycle when the Prophet came next to me, and he, so on and so forth. Yes, unfortunately we do have hadiths like that in Bukhari. We're not really sure if she said that to begin with. It may have been people who wanted to slander her and to show she's not morally, you know, trustworthy, trustworthy or you know she is not polite when it comes to these things. Maybe they attributed that to her. This is probably one of those hadiths. So does rivalry happened after Imam Ali passed away. Ah uh, Yes, the rivalry ap- happened after Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib السلام, was martyred. Initially, they were on the same team, but then they flipped. And they had rivalry. And what was the reason? P- politics. Who's vying for power? And there are actually historical clues that Muawiyah killed Aisha. He poisoned her. There are some clues. It's, they're not that clear, just some hints that he may have also killed her. Allah knows. In any case, going back to the ascension, the Prophet وآله, you know, ascended into the heavens at a very fast speed. There's a hadith attributed to Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib السلام, in which he was speaking with Jewish scholars and they were bragging that Musa is the greatest prophet because Allah spoke to him. So Imam Ali, Ali, Ali السلام, he's responding to that and he told them, well it's true we accept that Musa is kalimullah, the interlocutor of Allah, the one whom to whom Allah Wa Ta-A'la spoke to, however our messenger of Allah, he has a great miracle that surpasses all prophets which is the Mi'raj, the ascension into the heavens, then he says the Prophet sallallahu traveled the distance of 50,000 years in one-third of a night, now for light to travel 50,000 years how much would that be? 50,000 light years right, the Imam is indicating in this hadith that the Prophet may have traveled faster than the speed of light by 50,000 times, that's something incredible right? It's amazing and that's why by the way the Mi'raj so many events happened but in earthly hours it only took three hours because remember time is relative it depends on your speed so the Prophet may have experienced all of these heavens all of those interactions they could take a long long time to do all of that but it happened in three hours now with the theory of relativity this becomes a lot clearer to us, how that, is that even possible? So it was at a very phenomenal speed, we don't exactly know but some scholars have said this hadith of Imam Ali alayhi salam might indicate that the fastest thing we know of which is light, multiply that by 50,000 times because he's you know, saying that the Prophet went 50,000 times faster than you know um, a- anything that can travel during that period of time. Now, the Prophet, after he ascends into the heavens from Jerusalem, so he goes from Mecca to Jerusalem, then from Jerusalem, the mi'raj starts. Where does he go? The Prophet visits the seven skies. We also call them the seven heavens. Now, all that you see in this world the galaxies, the solar system, the Milky Way, whatever it is this is all called al dunya this is all the first sky, we don't have access to this second, third, fourth and fifth heavens until the seventh, this physical sky that we are able to see the stars and everything, this is what? This is all Sama'ad-Dunya Allah says you know we've decorated this uh, heavenly, this worldly heaven or sky, with the stars, so everything that we can actually reach with any spacecraft right is in ad dunya so the Prophet he went into the depths of ad dunya he reached you know places but theoretically they're possible for us to reach but we can't so far, so where did he go in Sama'ud-Dunya? the Prophet in ad dunya he meets two interesting angels as he's ascending in that vertical ascension, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi meets according to the hadith, he's with Jibrail now, Jibrail is guiding him, he sees the angels, all the angels they're smiling and greeting him, they're happy to see him, except one, frowning, no greetings, no smile, the Prophet ﷺ says to Jibrail, "Jibrail, what's the matter with this angel? I see everyone smiling except him, who is he? Jibrail says, this is Malik, Khazan al-Nar, the keeper of hell, that's Malik. Allah has appointed him, his name is Malik, yes. His name is Malik, that's the angel who's responsible for, you know, managing hellfire and because of what he sees on a daily basis, he can't smile. The Prophet sallallahu tells Jibra'eel, Jibrail, can you tell Malik to show me a glimpse of hell? Now based on this hadith, it seems that hell is in which sama, sama ad dunya it's somewhere in the first heaven, not in the higher heavens. So hell has been created by the way, it exists, and the Prophet ﷺ actually saw it during the Mi'raj. So he tells Malik, Malik it seems from the hadith that he may have been, he was probably hesitant, but he's not going to refuse the request of the Prophet ﷺ. So the hadith says he lifts the lid, there's like this lid for paradise, uh, for hell, he lifts just a part of it, a small corner, The Prophet peeks into hell, the Prophet says I felt as if the flame of hell was going to consume the universe and burn it, so I told Jibrail, tell him to discover it. Hadiths indicate that when the Prophet came back from Mi'raj he would never be seen laughing, maybe just a smile but not laughing, they would ask him, Ya Rasulullah, why, he's like after seeing hell, I can't laugh, when I saw hell, that frightening scene and, and those burning in hell, I can't laugh anymore, I just can't bring myself to laugh, so this is serious, I remember Allah as rahim there's a hadith to the effect that one day a woman came to the Prophet She told him, Ya Rasulallah, would a mother who loves her child, burn her child, throw her into fire? He said no, she says, isn't Allah arham than a mother? So how can he throw people into fire? The hadith says, the Prophet cried until his beard were soaked with tears. Then he said, O servant of Allah, Allah does not throw you in hell. You take yourself into hellfire. You push yourself through evil deeds that you have not repented from. You insist on them. Remember, you know, the average Allah forgives. But there are people who've committed crimes, big crimes and they did not repent, Allah gives us an opportunity to repent every single second, people reject that, just look at the enemies of Allah, the enemies of Ahlul Bayt, those who reject the signs, the Pharaohs right, whether it's a king who's a Pharaoh or a husband who's a Pharaoh right, we have Pharaohs in every society or it could be a community leader who's a Pharaoh and unjust and creates fitna and insists until he dies, these people deserve to be punished sometimes, so Allah is Rahim, but we take ourselves into hell, as the Prophet sallallahu says in this hadith. So that's the first angel he meets during the ascension. The second angel whom he sees, he sees an angel sitting, and you know bet- he's kind of sitting and he's looking at something. He's holding something between his knees. In his palm, he's looking at something. And he's very serious. He asks Jibrail, O oh, Jibrail, who's this angel? He tells him, This is the angel of death, Azrael. So the Prophet talks to him. You know, he says, Salam to him. He responds. He tells him, What are you doing? He tells him, I am looking at the entire world and I'm seeing every single human, Allah has given him that power and I'm looking and I'm seeing whose time has expired so I see the world in the palm of my hand you know with modern technology, maybe back then people were like what's this hadith, how is that going to work? Well today you could have an iPhone in the palm of your hand and you could see the world map and suddenly you see a red alert somewhere, go there, (laughs) be dispatched there in any case the hadith says he has something you know in the palm of his hand that also has light in it, it's a screen something else Allah knows, so he looks at it and whenever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives him the signal that this person's ajal time has expired he says I take their soul, then as Ra'il says the angel of death according to this hadith he says when I see people crying, I tell them, don't cry, I'm coming after you and then he says, I look at people and inspect their ajal and their time and inspect their homes five times a day to see if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given me the signal, that's how obedient he is, you know he's always on the go. Some other hadiths explain what are those five times? times of salah, at the times of salah the angel of death visits our homes and he's just examining, he's examining what we're doing, (laughs) now when the angel of death comes to take our souls, inshallah everyone has a long life here, when the angel of death comes to take the soul, he's been monitoring you for years and years, years and years, He comes to a person, he's like, every time I came at the time of salah, this person was praying, getting ready to pray, doing something good, how do you think he's going to take your soul? And to the contrary, he might come to a person and he's going to remember, oh 50 years, every time of salah I came, this person was either sleeping, if it's fajr, or this person was busy with dunya, sinning, wasting time, doing haram, he remembers all of that and that really impacts and affects how he's going to take our soul. So the Prophet sallallahu when he sees that he's really impacted by that, you know, when he, see, when he has that conversation with Malik al-Mawt, so he sees Malik and Azrael, these two great angels of God, then he ascends into the higher heavens, into the 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th until he reaches the 7th heaven. Now, and before he reaches the 7th heaven, there's a lot of details here, you know I'll condense that and summarize it, we have many many hadiths about exactly what the Prophet saw and what happened, so he meets the soul of all Prophets of Allah, specifically in the 4th heaven, in Bayt al-Ma'mur, in that very holy place, which has a connection to the Kaaba, he meets all of the Prophets of Allah over there and he leads them in prayer, they pray Salatul Jama'ah, Jibra'il pushes the Prophet, he tells him, you are our prayer leader, you lead the Jama'ah and all of us angels and all of us Prophets will pray behind you, so he meets the souls of all the Prophets uh, in those heavens, specifically in the fourth heaven, now some a hadith state that when the Prophet met the prophets, other prophets, their souls, he realized Ibrahim was initially missing, now Ibrahim is the greatest prophet of God after the Prophet sallallahu alaihi so he asked, where is Ibrahim, Habibi Ibrahim, I'm looking for him, where is he? So the hadith says, he was told, the Prophet, that Ibrahim is with the children, with the kids, It's from the Rahmah of Allah that the believers when their kids die before they die, so a parent loses a child, hadiths indicate that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has assigned Ibrahim and his wife Sarah to take care of the children until their parents join them after they die and this is from the Rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we have a number of hadiths, in fact Ibrahim he did that dua he said oh Allah one of the requests I have is that after you know I die I want to take care of the children of the believers, the children of the believers, I want to take care of them, so the hadiths actually give us a picture of that, you know how him and his wife they feed the children, they play with them, they keep them company until the parents join them, so really for all those parents, who have lost a child, I know it's very traumatic, it's a big big tragedy, it's very difficult, there's nothing worse than losing your own child, let them just know that if they're believers, their children are with Ibrahim and his wife Sara and that's from the Rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so he finds Ibrahim, they call him and he comes and he joins the Prophet sallallahu alayhi so the Prophet sallallahu alayhi he's having many scenes he sees many interesting things, now just to give you a very quick example the Prophet he would pass by paradise, one hadith states he saw in one of those heavens that he was passing by he saw vast lands, heavenly lands and he saw Malaika, angels acting as construction workers They would take a brick made from gold, a brick made from silver. Now remember, when we say gold and silver, this is largely metaphoric because people give a lot of value to these things. Otherwise, heaven is just a different dimension. We're not talking about this earthly gold and silver, right? So according to this hadith, the Prophet sees the angels, you know, it's like they have uh, this material, they're building something from it you know they take a golden brick, a silver brick and they're building something so the Prophet sallallahu asks them, tells them what are you doing, what are you building? they told him, Ya Rasulallah, we're building the palaces for the Mu'mineen, for the believers the Prophet tells them but I realize you're building but then suddenly you stop, why? they tell him the material finishes, we run out of material, he tells them how? They tell him the material is good deeds. When a believer does a good deed, worships Allah, glorifies Allah, specifically one hadith says, When you say Subhanallah, Walhamdulillah, Walla ilaha illallah, Wallahu Akbar, you create that building material in paradise. So they take that building material and they build for you. When you stop doing good deeds, charity, respecting parents, worshiping, whatever it is, they stop building. So he actually sees how the angels are preparing paradise for the believers. Now there are a lot of details and I encourage you to read you know trusted sources of course because remember we have a lot of if you go online and you want to search this you're going to run into all sorts of you know details that may not be authentic but I highly recommend that you examine what happens in in the journey of Mi'raj especially when the Prophet sallallahu meets certain individuals either believers or sinful people you know our sins have an effect the Prophet sees those effects like people who committed certain sins and they didn't repent the Prophet sees how they're suffering from that sin it's effective to read that you know it keeps us in check one interesting thing that the Prophet realizes is that every sky he visits he's greeted by the angels right the first thing they ask him after greeting him how is your brother Ali Ibn Abi Talib? And we have, by the way, Sunni sources too. We have many, many Shia sources. Every every time they greet him, they ask him about Ali Ibn Abi Talib. The Prophet asks those angels, or he asks Jibra'il. He tells him, What's going on? Everywhere I go, people ask me about Ali Ibn Abi Talib. So Jibra'il tells him, Oh Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa. Ali ibn Abi Talib is a king in the heavens, everyone mentions the name of Ali ibn Abi Talib and they congratulate him, they tell him, Ya Rasulullah, you have the best Khalifa, they congratulate him for that, so Imam Ali indeed has a very very great status in the heavens according to one hadith which Muslims have narrated, the Prophet says, every sky, every heaven has a door, a gate. On that gate, these words are inscribed La ilaha illallah. There is no God but Allah. Muhammadun Rasulullah. Muhammad is the Messenger of Allah. Ali ibn Abi Talib, Amirul Mu'mineen. Imam Ali is the commander of the faithful. The Prophet says, I saw this inscribed everywhere. And he says when I reached the seventh heaven, that's the closest place that he got to uh, the glory of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says I saw on the Arsh of God, the throne of Allah, this phrase was also written, there is no God but Allah, Muhammad is the messenger of Allah, Ali ibn Abi Talib is the commander of the faithful. Another hadith states that on the right side of the Arsh which is the holiest Place in existence. Now, when we say right, this is symbolic, it doesn't mean physically, it's to the right. In the holiest place of the arsh, this phrase is also inscribed. "Inna al-Hussein Musbahul Huda Wasafina Tun Najat. Husayn is the light of guidance and the ark of salvation. So the Prophet Sallallahu he does see the wonders of his creation and he's amazed at how the angels admire Ali ibn Abi Talib and he becomes very happy for that. Now, one important thing that happens during the ascension is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mandates salah. Remember, up until Mi'raj, salah was not wajib on the Muslims. Yes, they were encouraged to pray, supplicate, but the five daily prayers that we have them as we do today, they became mandatory many years later so those early Muslims they didn't have to pray the five daily prayers like we do today, this became wajib later, when did it become wajib? during the ascension, during the ascension Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells him, Ya Rasulullah, I have my messenger, I have made prayer wajib on you and your ummah. Now we have hadiths by the way Sunni and Shia hadiths that state initially Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made the prayers 50, not five daily prayers, 50, Allah told him I've made it 50 salaz wajib on your ummah and remember honestly that's not unjust because the whole reason why Allah created us is for what? to worship him, so even if it takes you know if it takes you 15 minutes to do five, it's going to take you 150 minutes let's say to do 50, that's what? 3-4 hours right? Allah has given you 24, even if you had to worship God four hours a day, that's what? one sixth of your day? That's not unjust when Allah says the whole reason why I brought you is to worship me. The Prophet doesn't say anything to Allah, he's coming back you know from that holiest place in which you would have a conversation with Allah He comes back, he meets Musa Alayhi Salaam, Musa tells him, Ya Rasulallah, I've got some advice to give you. I have experience with people, right, with my ummah, the Bani Israel, no chance they're going to pray 50. Go back to Allah, ask him to reduce it. So he goes back to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, he tells him, Ya Allah, you know Musa is giving me this advice and he's interceding on behalf of my ummah. Would you reduce the prayer? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, okay, I've reduced it to 45. So five, we're off the hook. He comes back, Musa tells him, Ya Rasulullah, no, 45 is still too much. I know them, they're not going to handle it. They're not going to observe it, except maybe just 1.001% of believers. The average person can't handle it. So he goes back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah keeps reducing it by five, 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 until five prayers. He comes back, Musa tells him, Ya Rasulullah, even five, I'm not sure they're going to do it. And subhanAllah, he's right. If you look at Muslims, 1.6 billion Muslims, how many of them pray the five prayers? Most do not. According to some estimates, nearly 60 to 70% of Muslims, they're not observant of their five daily prayers. Yes, and that's unfortunate. That's, that's, a, that's a tragedy, actually. Yes, 30, 40% is still a lot of people, right? We're talking about, I don't know, 500 million people, 600 million. Still a lot, but compared to the overall Muslim population, it's, it's saddening. Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wa he tells Musa, Oh Musa, I'm ashamed and embarrassed to go and bargain with Allah, he reduced it from 50 to 5, I'm sorry I'm not going to go back, he told him look I know they might not observe it, he's like that's it, let's just leave it at 5. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does reduce the salah, now there's an important observation here, some scholars have an issue with these hadiths, even though there are many by the way, some of them actually are sahih, meaning they have a solid chain, some scholars, a very minority of scholars, they have raised doubts about these hadiths, you know, if Allah Allah knows best right, why do we need Musa to teach the Prophet to tell Allah that your Ummah is not going to handle that, this doesn't make sense and the Prophet knows better than Musa, he doesn't need Musa to teach him, so on and so forth. Our scholars have responded to these claims or to these objections and there are several answers to this. The most valid answer, in my opinion, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows from the beginning that the Ummah can't handle 50. He knows that. However, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to honor Musa and Muhammad to show humanity the status of these two great prophets that because of them, I eased the burden. So, appreciate them. That's Shaf'a. That's a form of Shaf'a. And by the way, Sunnis who reject Shafa'ah, they've narrated this hadith in their own books. Musa, who's dead, he did Shafa'ah, he interceded on our behalf to lift a burden. That's a form of Shafa'ah. Because Shafa'ah means an infallible intercedes on your behalf. Yes. I I was just going to ask, what's the English synonym for Shafa'ah? Intercession. intercession. Yes, that's how we usually translate it. Shafa'ah is intercession. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows but he wants to honor Musa alayhi salam and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa that's why in this hadith al-Imam Sadiq alayhi salam in the end he says may Allah reward Musa for lifting the burden from this Ummah, Allah wants to show their status that's one way number two okay well couldn't the Prophet directly ask Allah? why did Musa get involved here? see the Prophet no messenger of God had the adab and the politeness and the etiquette of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu he was on top, when it came to us Akhlaq, you're of the utmost character, higher than all Prophets of God, when Allah tells the Prophet that I've made something mandatory, the Prophet could not bring himself to ask to negotiate with Allah, he just couldn't, that's his akhlaq and his adab and that's why one of the qualities of the Prophet, by the way, is that he could not say no, he couldn't say no, Imam Zayn al Abidin alayhis salam, that was one of his qualities, he never said no and that's why Al-Farazdaq, the famous poet in that poetry, he says ما قال, ما قال لا قط إلا في تشهدي. He never said no except when he said there is no God but Allah, that's the only no you'd hear from Imam Zain al-Abidin, he never turned anyone and the reason by the way that the Prophet sallallahu married Hafsa the daughter of Umar is because he couldn't say no, Umar came to him some other companions came to him Ya Rasulallah you know she was divorced by the way, she was a divorcee apparently historical accounts tell us you know because of her akhlaq no one was interested in marrying her and Umar was concerned, he came and he begged the Prophet, Ya Rasulullah, no one's going to take care of my daughter, please would you marry her? The Prophet couldn't say no because of his akhlaq. he just kept his head down, Umar said the Prophet has agreed, he announced it, that's how it happened, he couldn't say no, so even to that extent with Allah, he did not want to negotiate, but now here's this, so here's how it worked, but when he came back now Musa asked him, Musa came and he said Ya Rasulullah, I have a request from you, go and ask Allah to reduce it. So when the Prophet goes to Allah, this is the wording he used, he said, Oh Allah, my brother Musa asked me to come to you and I don't want to turn him away. See the politeness of the Prophet So the Prophet, it's as if he's telling Allah, I, I can't negotiate with you, but Musab sent me, and I don't want to put him down. So Allah accepted that shafaat. So I personally don't find any problem with these hadiths. Especially, we have a lot of them. It's not just one or two or three. Sunnis have narrated this. Shias have narrated this. We have solid hadiths from the Ahlul Bayt, peace be upon them. Like I said, you'll find maybe one or two scholars finding this problematic. Yes, they. Yeah, but Musa I, I honestly don't find any issue. Do you find any problem with it, given the explanation we've talked about? Well, I do. <laughs> you find a problem with it? What's I, the problem? I, I, I think Allah knows us, He created us, and He knows us better than Musa, Yeah, but Allah wants to show their, to show us their status. But also that's also Yeah. Allah, you know Allah. See Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to do, put a favor on this Ummah, really that I've lifted many burdens, by the way Allah lifted many burdens from this Ummah through the Prophet sallallahu alaihi this is not the only one, many other burdens Allah lifted from this Ummah like the very strict Sharia of the Jews, Allah changed that in Islam, the strict Sharia, you know according to some Jewish Sharia, if najasa like urine would touch your skin, to purify it, you couldn't use water, you had to cut it. Yes, yes, this is in the Jewish law. Because the Jewish people, they were stubborn with their prophets, they would reject, Allah would make it more difficult for them. Initially, 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 it was easy, Allah gave them a normal sharia. They kept arguing with their prophets, killing prophets, and Allah, to punish them, made it a difficult sharia. So when the Prophet sallallahu came, Allah lifted those burdens, Allah says in the Quran, he, he removes the shackles from you, he lifts the burdens from you, this is one of those examples, in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have made prayer, you know, difficult for us like that, but Allah is saying, look, there's a favor on you, through your messenger, know his value, because of the Prophet sallallahu I've lifted the burden from you, I didn't have to, but to honor him I did, so yes Allah does know better than Musa and anyone else but Allah wants to show us the status of the Prophets so, no, so we all remember that these Prophets have big favors on us <laughs> Exactly we get our religion from them like I said you'll find some who might find this problematic I personally don't find it problematic you know there's nothing that is you know illogical in this hadith or problematic especially since we have a lot of sources if it was just one source in some unknown book with an unknown source okay you know we could have probably dismissed it but we do have some solid chains for this, in any case this is not part of usul al deen where you have to believe in it If if you find yourself accepting it you can accept it, if you find it problematic just say Allah knows best, don't reject it just say Allah knows best so we do have you know many hadiths that tell us Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made salah mandatory and this is how it happened the adhan by the way before that there was no adhan Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala during the ascension also uh, showed the Prophet how to do the adhan even the acts of salah by the way without getting into too much details even the acts of salah why do we pray the way we pray the takbirah, one ruku, two sujoods, because the Prophet when he saw the glory of Allah, he did the takbirah, he did one ruku when he saw layer after layer of light being removed for him to see the glory of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so he would do ruku and submit to Allah, he did two sujoods, so Allah subhanahu wa taala added these prayer acts because of how the Prophet worshipped Allah in the, in the journey, uh, of al-ma'raj. So the, adhan was also shown to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He was taught the adhan during that trip. Sayyid, uh, yes. I heard that the hadith that you were saying, where the Prophet came down to Musa, then Musa sent back. I heard the same one, but I heard that it was Fatimah al-Zahra that was telling the prophet this i heard this several times after. what do you mean she was telling him like, this uh, the prophet i don't know like uh i heard people saying that fatima zahra is the one that made prayer easy for us and uh, like this is the but first she was so born she, yet. you see yeah. i know but really born i so haven't so seen so. any hadith yeah no i haven't seen yeah they said fatima zahra was like okay it's to be too hard for them father then no no when yeah i haven't seen any hadith actually We can check and see if there are some sources like that. I'm not familiar with any source uh, I mean, that, I mean, I'm sure yes, that, you know. in any case, we can investigate and see. So now the Prophet sallallahu ﷺ, he's ascending into these skies. He reaches the seventh heaven, which is the holiest and the best of all places. The Arsh of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is found there. Now the Prophet sallallahu ﷺ, he goes to Sidratil Muntaha with Jibrail. The Sidra is a tree, we can take this probably symbolically, it's not like a physical earthly tree, that tree is very significant, apparently all the knowledge in the universe is somehow contained in that tree, there are some you know scholars of tafsir based on certain hadiths, who also relate this tree to the tree of Adam السلام, in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had prohibited him from approaching the tree, it is possible that this was the tree, this tree has the secrets of the universe, it has all the knowledge of the universe and not anyone has access to that, Jibra'il had access to it and only the Prophet وآله, has access to it, so the Prophet goes and he sees that tree, you can find in the hadith amazing descriptions of this tree and and more about this tree, in any case the Quran talks about this now that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi sees him by the tree the Quran is not explicit or clear as to who he saw, the Quran says he saw him again by Sidratul muntaha by that cedar tree. Well, what's the Quran referring to? Here, we have some deviant sects within the Muslims who believe that during Al-Isra or Mi'raj, the ascension, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi saw Allah, God forbid, he saw the image of God there are some sources especially in some Sunni books, not the main ones like Bukhari and Muslim, some secondary books of hadith like the you know books of Dar Qutni and others, they do mention that the Prophet saw the image of God, now the Quran is not clear as to who he saw, it just he saw him, now we don't accept that of course because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not physical, the imams of Ahlul Bayt refuted this, in fact there is a hadith from Aisha in which someone asked her you know did the Prophet see God during the Mi'raj? She said to that companion who asked her you just gave me the goosebumps by saying that, no it's impossible to see Allah, he saw him with his heart, he experienced the glory of God but he didn't see him with his eyes because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not to be seen so you'll find some you know crazy hadiths and some books in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala somehow made himself visible to the Prophet. And actually, unfortunately, you do find some prominent Sunni scholars like Ahmed bin hanbal There is a hadith that says the Prophet saw God in the image of a young boy, Shab Amrad. Amrad means you know uh, an adolescent who has like a very thin mustache, but the beard has not grown yet maybe 13 years old, 14 years old so some hadiths indicate that he saw God in the form of a young beautiful boy, now unfortunately we see that Ahmed ibn Hanbal, Tabarani, Abu Ya'la ibn Sadaqa, they've said this hadith is sahih, they haven't narrated it in, in their book so Ahmed ibn Hanbal in his Musnad he did not narrate this hadith but he comments on this hadith in other books. For example, you'll find this in the book of Al-Muntakhab bin Alal Khilal, page 282. This is mentioned there. That he had al hadith, meaning he said this hadith is authentic. We reject that. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is much more glorious for him to appear in the form of a boy. So this is all rejected, these are all those fabrications and SubhanAllah when Allah talks about Isra' in Surah Al-Isra' what's the first word he uses? Subhanalladhi, glorified is he, glorified means he's above all these limitations that's what the meaning of Subhan means, so it seems Allah knew these fabricators would come and come up with this ridiculous hadith. so in the beginning Allah says glory to him who had his servant go on the Isra and Mi'raj, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is just refuting that in the Quran that Allah is glorious and these things don't happen, so now at Sidratul Muntaha, what does he see then? according to our hadiths of the Ahlul Bayt, he sees Jibra'il in his original form because Jibra'il is one of the greatest if not the greatest angel of God, now he has many forms when Jibrail would come down to earth, he would uh, take a more earthly form, in fact sometimes he would come in the form of a man and companions would see him, he looked like al Kalbi, one of those companions of the Prophet, sometimes Jibrail would come in the form of that companion, he would look like him, sometimes to speak to the Prophet, so sometimes an angel can come in the form of a physical being but then the Prophet sallallahu sometimes he would say that when I see Jibra'il ascending into the skies and he would go back to his more original spiritual form, I would see his wingspan, one wing would be as big as the galaxies it's something beyond our comprehension because remember the angels, what are they created from? Light, the light of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so we don't exactly know what their essence or nature is, we don't even know what our essence or nature is, let let alone the ruh and the, you know, uh, angels of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he sees Jibra'il in his original form, in that seventh heaven, which was something just mind-boggling and baffling for the Prophet to see that, لَقَدْ رَأَى مِنْ آيَاتِ رَبِّهِ الْكُبْرَى the Quran says he saw one of the great signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so he sees Jibra'il over there by, by shujrat al muntaha then they reach a point after that, now remember this is the seventh heaven by the Arsh, but they're still ascending, they reach a point, Jibra'il tells the Prophet, Ya Rasulallah stop, you've reached a point in existence, No angel, no messenger, no prophet, no creation of God has been able to pass. If I myself pass it right now, I will be annihilated and I will burn. You are the only one chosen by Allah to cross that. So he reaches a point in existence where he's now experiencing the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not a physical experience, Allah is not physical so he tells him according to our hadiths and Sunni hadiths, Ya Rasulallah, you go because he stops, the Prophet tells him, why are you stopping? He tells him, I can't come with you, I'm sorry, I brought you all the way till here but after this point only you can go. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi he goes and he describes you know in limited words of course, how Allah Wa Ta-A'la would remove layer after layer after layer of light until he experiences something indescribable, something absolutely indescribable, the Qur'an talks about that, he gets so near to the glory and spiritual presence of Allah, ثُمَّ in Dua al nudbah the Imam Alayhi says, Dunuwan min al al-A'la He gets so close to the glory of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's as if you know, he met the glory of God, that's how close he got to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so he spiritually experienced the existence of God, we don't know exactly what that is, it's beyond our comprehension, it's something we cannot Really, picture or imagine in our minds—it's something which Allah subhanahu wa taala gave solely to His Messenger, something even Jibrail cannot experience, and that's the great status of the Holy Prophet sallallahu alaihi So the Holy Quran does, you know, refer this, and then فَكَانَ قَابَ فَأُوْحَى إلَى عَبْدِهِ Allah revealed the secrets of the universe to the Prophet then and there. So the Prophet sallallahu alaihi he finishes. From that he's now coming back to earth, the journey is coming now to an end, now I condense this a lot, there are many many things, interesting things that happened but just to keep it brief, he comes back, they come back to Jerusalem, then from Jerusalem they come back to Mecca, it's around Fajr, the Prophet meets, um, well before that, before that as the Prophet was going from Jerusalem to Mecca, he sees a caravan owned by Quraysh, by the Arabs of Mecca. They're also coming back to Mecca. So they're going south to Mecca. Yes. Is, is the Prophet on the,
1: still on the, uh, on the Burak?
0: Yes, he comes down with the Burak, yes. So he comes to Jerusalem. Then from Jerusalem on the Burak, he goes south to Mecca. On his way, he sees a caravan. The caravan saw the Burak? No, no, no. They didn't see anything. The Prophet saw the caravan he saw the caravan, he realized that one of their camels had been lost, they're looking for a lost camel in the middle of the night in the desert, the Prophet passes by the caravan, there was a container of water, a jug of water, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi spills the water, he comes back to Mecca, this is around Fajr, he meets Umhani, the sister of Imam Ali alaihi salam, he tells her I've just had this experience and he tells some other companions and it begins to spread amongst the Meccans that the Prophet had this migration or ascension into the heavens. Now the Quran says, مَا كَذَبَ مَا The Prophet, his heart is not lying when he's saying that because they came and challenged him, oh what is this, what are these myths, this is nonsense, are you hallucinating, you're telling us Allah, you know, took you to the seven heavens and you saw this and that, nonsense, They immediately accused the Prophet of lying, then they challenged him, they told him if you're truthful, didn't you say you just went to Jerusalem in like several hours? Well the Prophet had never been to Jerusalem, this was a known fact. They told him, describe to us, how does Jerusalem look like? The mosque that you went to and prayed, tell us the pillars, how many pillars does it have? How many arches does it have? Describe it to us. Now the Prophet he lowered his head. Jibrail comes to him. He takes a snapshot of Jerusalem and the Masjid. He hangs it in front of his head. He tells him, "Ya Rasulullah, describe it to them." So he describes it to them because they asked him for specific details, right? That even if you went there, you wouldn't know these specific details. So he told them, "Okay, I'll tell you." Jibrail is holding the image. He tells them it has this number of columns, arches, this color, that color, that corner is here. Shocked because some of them had gone to Jerusalem, they're like he must have gone, you know, how does he know these details? But then they still rejected, okay maybe somebody had given him that description, I don't know, could have have been possible. They still reject and they tell him you're lying. So he tells them, okay I'm lying, when I was coming back on my journey, I saw a caravan, this number of people in it, this number of camels in it, one camel was lost, they were searching for it and I took one of their jugs while they were sleeping and I spilled the water and the caravan is going to arrive at sunrise, go and ask them, Abu Sufyan became happy, he told Abu Sufyan, the leader of the pagans, the father of Muawiyah, he said this is a perfect opportunity for us to expose the Prophet because he put himself in a big trap and he dug into his hole for himself, he didn't believe the Prophet, they didn't have faith right Abu Sufyan, he didn't believe that a caravan was going to come, that's impossible, how does he know that the caravan got lost and all this happened? So it's like perfect opportunity to show the people this man is a liar, at sunrise everyone's anxiously waiting for that caravan to come back At sunrise the Prophet said when you see the disk of the sun looming in the horizon, you're going to see the camels coming and that's exactly what happened. At sunrise, the caravan reached Mecca, they rushed to the caravan, they asked them, tell us your story, what happened? Something strange happened? They're like, yes, first of all we got lost, one of our camels got lost, the Prophet told them the color and the specifications of that camel so they told him, they, they told them this you know camel with and they looked at the specifications and the color, this camel got lost, then we found the camel. And something strange happened. We were all sleeping. When we woke up, we saw our jug of water spilled. So the Prophet tells them that's the sign of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But then Al Imam salam, he comments, he says, but they still reject it. Every single sign Allah showed them, just like Faraun. Allah sent him all those signs, the nine signs, the snake and the stick and the splitting of the sea, but they rejected. The pagans of Mecca did the same with the Holy Prophet. So this is how the journey ends, and this was one of the great miracles of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Deep down in their hearts, they knew the Prophet was telling the truth, but out of arrogance, they did not want to submit. To the prophet sallallahu alaihi wa ali sallallahu ala muhammadin wa alihi tayyibin at-tahirin